Okay, our text today will be uh, 1 Samuel 17. Um, as I was studying about this, I came across something I'd never noticed before, and you all probably wondered why, but I just hadn't. Um, at the end of 1 Samuel 16, um, there, there's a there's talk about when, uh, the first part of that is when Samuel anoints David king, and then the end of that, it talks about how David went into service with Saul, or because God afflicted Saul with an evil spirit, and then he, um, David came and played the harp for him to, to soothe him, and it was interesting that it says, uh, starting with verse 18, says, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So, so Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent, sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So, and I, I looked at several passages about that, because then in, at the end of 17, after uh, David has killed uh, Goliath, starting in verse 55, it says, As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of his army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him, brought him before Saul, and David, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. So what's happening here? Is that what it is? <laughs> that was that did cross my mind. It was he's got a lot of other things on his mind, but I just thought it was interesting. It said Saul liked him very much, which would tend to indicate some level of relationship. But then at the end of the next chapter, he's like, "Who is this guy?" It's like he's the guy's been playing the harp for you, Saul. <laughs> so what what do we do with that? Anybody, anybody have any ideas on that? I always take it as just be, uh, out of chronological order that David's, David's relationship with, with Saul at the end of chapter 16 was more as a uh, footnote to the evil spirit that's become upon Saul. From 17, he's totally different back earlier. Okay. Specific about this, but he says the spirit of David, uh, and I'm going to say something that he said the spirit came over and soothed David. No, soothed Saul. Saul. Right. Soothed Saul. Is that the Holy Spirit? I would, I would say not, because God has rejected Saul at this point. 
Chapter 17. Anybody want to volunteer to read part, all or part of that? Sharon, are you a good reader? Would you read chapter 17 for us? <laughs> now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered together at Soko belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokol and Zika in Ephesus. 
And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight was 5,000 shekels and bronze. And he had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul in the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shaman. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain, and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands, and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistine. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with him, with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words, so David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. 
Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him the same as the first ones did. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the flock and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ready and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. <clears throat> then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And it was so, when the Philistine arose and turned and drew near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and his stone, and he and struck the Philistine in the forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with his stone, and struck the Philistine. 
testing and conquering, but there was no sword in the hand of the Lord. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of its sheath and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ephraim. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Shearim, even as far as Gath and Ephraim. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor on his head. Now when Saul saw David, against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then, as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine on his head. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehem. Thank you. Any idea how old David was at this time? So in the previous chapter when he was anointed, he was 15. So he's probably, in a, he's a teenager most certainly. Uh, how, how long it took before this happened is unclear, but not too many years Hence his uh, anointment. It's interesting in the, the the way the battle lines are drawn here because it talks about the valley. And as a kid, I always wondered why didn't they just one side attack the other? Why you just stand there and taunt each other? But I mean, whoever attacks, they're going down in the valley, and so you're attacking that hill, and that's kind of a fool's errand. So I think that's why they were just kind of a lot of yelling and screaming at each other across the valley. Um, <clears throat> when you look at what the Israelites saw, uh, we look at beginning in chapter 4. So you have this man that's over 9 feet tall. He has a bronze helmet, a coat of armor that weighs 5,000 shekels, which I'm, I've read about 125 pounds. Um, his legs were bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went ahead of him. So a pretty impressive looking man, if he's your enemy, for sure. And that's what the Israelites saw. And when you look at um, chapter 11, or excuse me, verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. In verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So, <clears throat> so we see what, they're, what they see is the giant, and he's terrifying. And David doesn't seem to see the same thing that they're seeing. Because when, when David talks, he says stuff like, uh, let's see, verse 26. 
he said, David asked the men standing near, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear, paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then verses 44, starting 44. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds. 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord, save, Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So what does David see? Does he see the giant with all the heavy armor and weapons? Yeah, he's he's, he's seeing God. Kind of that question. I mean, I picture them kind of running around all, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, and then here comes this kid. And he says, how dare this Philistine defy the armies of God? Right. He was just going to rock him. Yep. What was wrong with the armies of God that they didn't know? (laughs) God would take care of them. All they could see was the giant. That's that's what you're focused on. That's what you see. Then then your the fear is a logical thing to have, I suppose. But David, he was he was not to be deterred by the, the guy's size, or his heavy armor, or his weapon. And I, I think it's that's probably a lesson for us that we'll get into a little bit later. Is that when we look at the giants in our own lives, then that's where our failure comes from because that's what we're focusing on are those giants instead of God him taking care of us, but we'll get to that. Can I ask a quick question here? Um, what gave Goliath the right to take on uh, a man that could kill him and then say, if he does, then we're all subject to the Israelites. Well, apparently that was a custom at the time that instead of slaughtering wholesale, wholesale peoples, the two war, two warriors would fight, and whoever won, that was kind of the, that was the gods giving their blessing on whoever won, and so they, that was the win for them. Um, but apparently the Philistines didn't buy into it, even though he said it, because they took off running. So <laughs> it's like, okay, you won, we give up. <laughs> so far, actually goes all the way back to the of Hannah in the second chapter, because David is probably the least likely person to uh, become king, which we haven't gotten to yet. You know, what, what is he? He's a shepherd. You know, who is he? We don't know. Who's his father? He must be noted. A noble. But he's not. So, I think the lesson here is that 
God will uh, do his work. We've already seen Samuel and Saul uh, rejected by God. These people were men, I guess, a kind of a stature. You know, they got position. But here, David, you know, God works through probably the least likely person in the whole nation to be their king. David goes in, and uh, it's like he's hearing it three times. I don't know if that's what it takes to make it true to him or not, but what will be done to the guy that kills this Philistine? He overhears somebody saying, and he asks twice. I love his oldest brother's response when he gets mad at him and says, What'd that do? I'm just asking questions. <laughs> Typical big brother, yeah. Yeah, because at, at this point, my assumption is that they have witnessed David being anointed the next king. Because Samuel called all the sons through and said, nope, he's not the one, he's not the one, he's not the one. This is him. So, and it's probably one of those, as a big brother, you're like, whatever, Samuel, annoy him if you want, it's not going to happen. Uh, but, but it was. And so I, sometimes I wonder if some of that stuff doesn't have some effect on their psyches as far as okay he's he's been he's special in some way even though they don't really admit it um, one thing that that is uh, when you when you read this story the story of David and it always comes across as the underdog uh, comes in and wins a great battle, and I suppose in one sense it is. But when you look at really what has happened here, it's not hugely surprising to me, um, because as, as a coach, you coach people to have confidence in what they're doing. And we read how much confidence David has. I'm gonna cut, I'm gonna kill you and cut off your head and kill all your friends and beat them to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And so, so he's got plenty of confidence. Like he's not laughing men. In this way. But when you look at Goliath, I mean, he is so big. Anybody know who Robert Wadlow is? Anybody heard that name? So he, he's the tallest man that's been recorded. I mean, there may have been others that, that weren't, but he was Eight feet eleven inches tall. Uh, the last time he was measured, which was eighteen days before he died, and he weighed four hundred and thirty-nine pounds. And he and when you see a picture of him, he looks like a bean pole. I mean, he's, he's thin. And so you think Goliath is probably going to be pushing more than five hundred pounds. I mean, at least the pictures I've seen of him, he's a big guy. <laughs> and and somebody that big is not going to be super quick. I mean, there, it's just the laws of physics are going to prevent him from being super quick. 
uh, he's going to be super strong. And if David goes hand to hand with him, he's going to get crushed. But you notice David doesn't get anywhere near him. Not he's not within a sword's or a javelin's throw from him, probably. And and it'd be like going up against somebody. Well, <laughs> the picture that came to my mind was in Indiana Jones. Remember the scene where the guy comes out with a sword and he's doing all this stuff, and then Indiana. <laughs> That's kind of the way I picture this happening. I mean, Goliath is up here and he's putting on his big show and David puts his stone in him and whacks him. And, and in reading, the, the slingers were very accurate with their stones. And David, I mean, it, probably from the time he could hand sheep, he's been taking a sling out and practicing hitting bushes or rocks or lions and bears, right? So he's probably pretty good with this thing. So... So even though we see it, and, and I don't want to take away what God has done in the picture, but I think part of God using David is taking his gifts and using those to, the, to his maximum advantage. So, so it'd be like an archer going up against somebody with a sword. I mean, I don't have to get close enough to you that you can do any damage with your sword. Uh, and David being a youth would, be, would have probably been very quick able to get out of the way, able to dodge or run or run away if Goliath started coming towards him, to, to run away and get away. And so so I don't think when you start thinking of a miracle of it, I don't see that it's so much a miracle, but I do see God's hand in it, how God worked uh, through David uh, to make this happen. And, and it wasn't so much David's ability as it was his attitude and his courage. Because in his faith, right? Because everybody else is sitting over there seeing the giant, like, I can't go against him. And they may be thinking, going at him with a sword and let's duke this out. But David's thinking, I'll go against him. I'll whack him with a stone from 20 or 30 yards away. <laughs> well, look at Saul, how much of a coward he was. Finally, he says to David, okay, go ahead. Lord be with you. Right. <laughs> you know, he was in the and, that, and that's the only time in this passage that anybody but David even mentions the Lord. And you can see Saul saying, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. God be with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a, a point in the scripture where it is trying to say that this was God and not David, in that when he was hit in the forehead, he fell face forward, which I would think he would fall backwards. So that possibly is saying by including that in there, this was God working David, through yeah. David, but it is God that slays him. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think David even, would even agree with that. But the, you know, but the fact of how he fell right. would not be what would happen if you were hit strongly by something strong. You would go backwards. Right. Now verse 47 says the battle is the Lord's. Right. He couldn't lose. Right. <clears throat> and I think that's where his confidence come from, came from because he knew that the battle was the Lord's and God was on his side. And I mean, I am very uh, admir admire, admiring of his faith uh, because that's something that we don't see a lot of today is the kind of faith that would uh, cause us to go out and fight a giant like that.
wants to talk about a little bit. Um, and the rest of the story is basically um, David kills Goliath. Um, then Saul inquires, who, are, who is this young man? And the, and the story, I love the story. I've loved it since I was a little kid. But my challenge for this class is how, how does that, how can we make this fit? Why does it matter? How can it, how can we draw some wisdom out of this for us today? And um, okay, when when you look at you look at the Israelites, all they could see was the giant, and when you see the giant then you're the one that, that fails, or, or I'll say falls. But if you're, if you're looking at God, then it's the giants that fall, because that's what David has done. That David's focus is singularly on God and what he's able to do. And that's where his confidence comes from. And so when, when our focus is on God, then the giants fall. If our focus is on the giant, then we're the ones that fall. The giant conquers us. Don't you think there are always these giants popping up in our lives, whether it's illness or something happens to somebody or or some whatever challenges you have that that that's the hugest thing you can see right in front of you. It's difficult sometimes to not see that because that's what your whole focus is on when it's happening. Right. So what are some of the giants we face today? Okay. The love of. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's a lot of people in our society that, I mean, all kinds of substance abuse, um, addictions, those kind of things that are huge giants in their lives. And I mean, your my giant and your giant may not, not probably aren't the same thing. I mean, we all have different things we uh, struggle with. Marriage problems. Pornography, uh, grief, uh, disappointment, uh, pride, greed, what Don was saying, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. Sometimes we have trouble looking at the difference between what the giant can do to this physical body, what he can do to us, and what he can't do to our eternal life. And we lose sight sometimes of the product of that giant. And we fear maybe for our physical life, which is a legitimate fear. But with our faith, we know that that's not the end of it for us. And with David, he knew in his heart he was going to take down that physical giant that was standing in the physical way of Israel. But what if giant would have killed David. I mean, David would have, I mean, God would have still been pleased with David. It just wouldn't be written down here. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, same story. But giants can kill our physical body, but they can't harm our spiritual body, but they can't kill our focus. Uh, this analogy, uh, Dallas Willard reminds me of the picture. Uh, giant, he had been training 
he didn't all of a sudden see this giant and say, hey, I'm going to get a slingshot and I'm going to kill this giant running out of train. He was, he was prepared for giant when he came. And that uh, it's kind of like, uh, use the analogy, you see a basketball game and there's three seconds to go and the guy does an amazing shot and does it most of the time. He was, that, he was ready for that. All the times he missed, and so it would be this. Uh, David he had to endure the spiritual discipline of facing the giants and the bears and all this stuff, and here he is, came along. So, in a sense, it, it kind of sounds like it's not new to him. I'm going to handle this one, and he did. He may have never thought he'd face a giant, but he, he was prepared for it. And so, if I uh, if I'm not disciplining myself in the word of prayer, whatever it is, I, there's no reason to believe that all of a sudden. God's going to take care of me when he hits me. I mean, he may just get swatted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what? What can we? What do we do when we face giants in our lives? I mean, Sharon uh, mentioned our he- uh, illness or something. What? What can we do when we're faced with that? Okay. Well, the first thing I think is prepare. I mean, have those disciplines. Study so that when you're faced with that, you're prepared, you're ready. And I think that would be true for any giant that we would face mm-hmm. is the preparation. You'd have to be prepared. <laughs> I think it was important you had something like that confronting you. I think I to be totally honest, I would have trouble focusing on the spiritual part of it, the God part of it, God is with me. Um, I think once you're maybe in the fight or you're afterwards, you go, why didn't I ask God for help? These things will happen to us. Also, I can remember back when you, you were not prepared, young guy was teaching in Texas, and there's a, a, a ghetto right in Austin, a math conference. It's all set up, a bunch of teachers going, and I get there to find out I've been booked for literally just one of those math teachers. You never know when things will happen to you. Oh, when I was traveling, training for this cult services there, I am. And, and uh, there was the woman training me. She was real good. And she said, Hey, God, you're good. Give me the keys. Two weeks back, the Duke took three blocks back was a men's club. See, those things hit me. You know, man, you got to say, got to be prepared for what's going to happen to you. And you don't know. Right? Sometimes, though, you're not. Because things happen suddenly when he got sick five years ago. Um, it was that night. We had no idea. And it was serious that night. And so that was a giant for me because I wouldn't expect it. And, and I had to work through it. But, but you spent your life preparing for that. Because. That's where, that's where our faith comes from. Is, is or that's that's when it gets tested, is when we have these giants come to us. And so, so you you spent a lifetime preparing for that, so it wasn't a devastating time for you. Right? It was a, 
lost faith. And so I, I think really that it's kind of what Gary's saying is that what we, our preparation should be that we are, whatever we're doing, we're trying to please God. And so if that's, if that's what our, if that's where our reactions come from, then I think we'll be, I mean, we've been prepared. Uh, and then as we go on to it and things start looking dicey and stuff, I don't know if I can survive this or not. Like Gary said, well, I might not survive it, but that might not be what God's purpose is for my life. Um, because he, death is, I mean, to God, death is not the end of things. I mean, we, we look at it like, oh, it's, it's the end for me, <laughs> but it's not. And, and, <laughs> yeah. We have three almost identical stories, really. Saul, Samuel, and David. And as I said, Hannah, why is she there? Three chapters to Hannah. And all she does is give birth to uh, Samuel. Not Samuel, Saul. Samuel. You know, but uh, her prayer is that it would be, uh, her son would be uh, humble and give God his credit. But as he goes through, I mean, he begins and God's right behind him. He wins battles. But then when he starts making decisions for himself, his kingdom starts going down. And then we have uh, Samuel. Saul. Saul first, right? Then Samuel. You know, all three at the beginning, they're humble people. And at some point, they start making decisions for themselves what to do to their benefit. You know, marriages, and, and you know, I don't remember all of them, but they start making decisions for themselves and they start losing their kingdom. All three lose. Even David, if you continue the story, his kingdom is going to fall apart because of decisions he makes. So, Kind of at the end, you have an epilogue of three chapters at the end. There's an epilogue there. You come right back to Hannah's prayer if you really look at it. Because these people depart from serving God and their humbleness. In other words, not me did it, God did it. It's the humility that they should have had. You see that in all three cases. Yeah. And they all lose their kingdoms. Solomon is the best. David is a great example here because in this in chapter 17, there's six different times that he says, the armies of the living God, that God will give you give you to us. I mean that that's so his focus is on God. And when he takes his focus off of God, look what happens. I mean, he, he kills Uriah, he or he has adultery, he commits adultery with Bathsheba, murders her husband, and and that's kind of gets his kingdom in a bad spot. And so any any time David takes his eyes off God, he goes off the rails. I mean, he, his life is is really tied very closely to his relationship with God. And I, and we all are. David's going to be at, his, at this point in the story. He's on his way up. And we'll talk more about his kingdom all the way to the end, except the last three verses of the epilogue. But right before that epilogue, uh, he's made bad decisions. You know, he married Bathsheba, got her pregnant, and, uh, had you know, people killed, and 
think so. It's a, a story there. Yeah, I mean, there's theological value to it, not just stories of, of kings telling us the story of kings, but uh, where God's with you and you're humble, you're going to succeed. When you turn from that, your kingdom will go down. And I think that's, I mean, to me, that was one point I wanted to make here is, is David, in contrast to Saul, and David has a very humble demeanor here. I mean, whatever he does, it's by the power of God. And Saul has just come back from uh, disobeying God and rebelling against God, and, and all because Saul feels like Saul is a pretty good guy and pretty important, and so he's disobeying God because of that. And so you see how God takes the kingdom away from him because of that rebellion, and then David is exhibiting the very humility that is at the heart of God, and I think that's why David was called a man after God's own heart, is because of the humility that he had before God. So I guess that's the thing we need to look at from this lesson, I think, is, is how do we face the giants in our lives? David faced a literal giant and succeeded because of his reliance on God. And I think that's where it begins for us uh, to defeat the giants in our own lives whatever they might be. And what I was going to say earlier is a lot of times our giants are made bigger because we focus on them. I mean, if, if you're suffering from an addiction, the more you see that addiction and try to fight it by yourself, the more it entangles you and keeps you enslaved. Where when you take your eyes off the addiction and focus on God, then that gives you the power, God gives you the power uh, to overcome that giant in your life. And I think any... Um, any of the giants that we face, whether it be uh, betrayal, grief, um, whatever addiction we might have, uh, the solution is the same, is to focus on God and what He is doing and what He has done, and uh, it'll make our giants shrink because the, the attention we give them is what makes them so big. Thanks, something word you just said is giants plural because once we conquer a giant once David killed Goliath that didn't mean everything's great for David now he's conquered the giant you know if I conquer that addiction you know if I quit drinking and you know one of these days I'm going to <laughs> if I conquer alcoholism that doesn't mean all the giants in my life. Because there's always going to be another one out there. And if we don't create some of our own, the devil's going to put a lot of them in our path to try to distract us. Distraction is probably one of my biggest giants. I mean, it's so easy to get distracted by things. It's all the devil really wants to do. He doesn't necessarily want me to go out and cheat on my wife. He just wants me to distract me from praying or thinking about God. I think Phil had a really good idea in that we need to be in the Word, learning these kinds of stories, building up our faith before the giants come around so that we can be into that battle ready to go. A lot of times when people go through the battle of whatever it is, and people throw scriptures at them trying to help them, they don't want to hear those scriptures at that point. But because they prepared all, all along, 
pass through that low point in your life and comes out as this. Yeah. When when Keith got sick, I kept saying to myself, "We can do this. We can do this." Why didn't mean to us? I meant we, that God gave us. Right. But I had to keep reminding myself that we can get, however this ends up, we can get through it because we've got God with us. David reminded himself six times in one chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that's good. Well, that's the thing. God doesn't promise there won't be giants. Right. God doesn't really promise that the giants won't prevail. But it's how you approach the giants and, and that continuing faith that you have that no matter what, God will prevail. Right. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you begin. That's David's case. You can be the shepherd, still be king. He might have, he could have, after he killed Goliath, I would have wanted to say, hey, I don't need to practice anymore. I'm the best with using a slingshot. But not, would not be smart. Yeah. He's got a brother. I think he mentioned somewhere giants being big places like that. Anything else? Messengers, thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.